Welcome to the Inspired Women Podcast. I'm your host, Megan Hall, psychology student, wife, and mama four. On this podcast, I share helpful life tips and stories from inspirational women. Warning, sometimes we chat about taboo topics and drop some F-bombs. Thank you for tuning in with me today. Enjoy the episode. Hey guys, today I'm here with Sarah. Sarah Poet, M-E-D, helps women to remember the sacred truth that lies within them. The truths we often spend many years looking for outside of ourselves. I mean, I think I'm still on that journey, just just to be honest. (laughs) (laughs) I think a lot of us are. Yeah. Sarah is the host of the Sacred Remembering podcast. So if y'all are listening to this, you obviously listen to podcasts, so you can check that out. And I'll link up her um, website so you can um, go and and check that out as well in the show notes. Um, It's for modern women waking up to the truth of who they are, which includes leading conversations on modern feminism, feminine leadership through our grounded awakenings. Sarah is the founder and creator of Embodied Breath, where she is a presence-based teacher, healer, mentor, coach for women and conscious couples building sacred relationships. So if it's presence-based, are you able to do that right now with the whole pandemic going on? Absolutely. I've actually been online for two years. Oh, that's great. I have clients all around the world. So yeah, this did not affect um, how I can work, thankfully. Thankfully. I think a lot of people are learning how to switch to online. You know, a lot of, um, a lot of jobs that, or even businesses that don't have to be like, aren't customer like service based, you know, I'm, I'm even seeing a lot of places that I order where I'd go into the store and now they're like, well, we're moving pretty much online until this is over with. So pretty impressed about how ingenious people are right now. Yeah. Yeah. It's a big deal. And that pivot came for me out of a career in education. And so it was a steep learning curve. So yeah, my heart goes out to all of the people who are trying to do that in fast mode right now. Yeah. That's coronavirus (laughs) with my kids and them trying to do schoolwork. It's uh, pretty crazy. I feel for the teachers having like all these, these tiny humans that they're trying to teach. And I keep getting these emails from my a teenager's teacher saying, Carl's behind on her schoolwork. And I'm like, oh my God, you're 17. Can you just get it together and do what you're supposed to? (laughs) It's hard. Well, it's hard for them because it requires a whole different way of organizing. It's called executive function. Mm -hmm. Like it's hard on the kids because they don't know where to look or to how to manage their time. My son gets his assignments a week at a time. And then he's got to budget his time. Like that's Mm -hmm. a big skill for an 11 year old. Yeah. I have, um, I have a 17 year old, a 10 year old and two eight year olds. And I keep, I I'm the worst about keeping up with their stuff. Like one of my eight year olds, her teacher emailed me last night and was like, Audrina's behind on her schoolwork. And I'm like, you know, I'm just trying to keep it together here. Like it's hard to keep on four children. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Bless you. Yeah. Four children and you're still smiling. I love it. I'm trying. (laughs) So we'll finish Sarah's bio. So what makes Sarah unique is she doesn't bypass the difficult stuff on the way to awakening. Rather, we need to go through it all. Sarah's also an expert on feminine and masculine archetypes and how to heal and balance them within all bodies and relationships. 
So as we mentioned, we are in the middle of recording in the middle of a pandemic. Like this is yeah. going to air um, a, like a month and a half after we record it. Uh, but thank you, Sarah, for making the time to come on and chat with me today. Thank you so much for your invitation to be here. It's a pleasure. So one of the things that you mentioned when you applied to be on the podcast is about losing your daughter. And I'd love to have mm. you share a little bit about that with us. Cause I don't, I'm not sure that we've ever actually talked about this specific topic before on the podcast. Mm. I could be wrong. I've done like a lot of them, like 400, yeah. I think something ridiculous. <laughs> mm. Wonderful. And so you've never talked about adoption or you've never talked about losing a child or both? Both. Oh, wow. Um, I, okay, have, I, had, I did have somebody that came on and talked about, um, she got in a car crash and um, lost, like two of her children died mm. in a car crash. Mm -hmm. So that way we've talked about losing yeah. a child. Yeah. 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 Well, thank you for the invitation. So yeah. And, um, this was a topic by the way that we're going to be talking about on my podcast, the sacred remembering podcast in May, we're talking about mothers and we're, we're talking a whole episode about loss because it's something that gets looked over in our culture. Like we don't know how to talk about it and know how to deal with it. And I lost a daughter to adoption when I was 18, 19 years old. And so, um, you know, it really marked the beginning of a path for me of not feeling like I was enough. And how that mm -hmm. happened was, you know, as a child, I was a rebel heart. I'm talking about, yes, a young child, but as an adolescent, I was totally a rebel heart. I um, had a career in education where I worked with adolescents and I was like, I get y'all. I mean, I get teenage rebellion, like through and through, um, you know, it's a hard time. And so I really felt like I very much knew myself at that time. Like I had a relationship to the divine that was budding at that time. That was different from my father's like imposed, religion and how he saw things. And I was sort of like always fighting against that. And, um, you know, down to, I was like, I'm going to have my sexuality and I ended up getting pregnant. And the man was like a very beautiful man. Um, I think that it was like a soulmate relationship, even though I was so young, he was older. I was like 17, 18. We knew each other for years because we were volunteers at a camp together, like a camp for disabled youth. And so I would see him every summer and I totally had a crush on him. And finally I told him, like he was the older, uh, the older man and, you know, four years older. And, and so I told him and we were in love and, um, I got pregnant my first semester of college and I was 10 hours from home and I had like hightailed it away from home. I really wanted to be 10 hours from home. And then I got pregnant. And my first thought when I found out that I was pregnant in college was really like, no one can know about this. No one can know. And then, so I went to the college counselor and, and just cried and cried about like how my mother and father were just going to hate me. Mm -hmm. And like, by the time I was done with that session, I went back to my dorm room and I just knew that this 
child had to come into the world. Um, like I knew that abortion wasn't an option for me in that moment. And I'm not, um, you know, people say like, that's so brave or, you know, you must be completely pro-life and things like that. And I'm like, no, I think it's each woman's choice. I just knew that that little soul mm -hmm. had to come in. Like that was the direction. And so, um, yeah, gave birth at 19 years old, um, totally natural birth. Like I had to fight away the doctors with the epidurals and the like, please sign this paper for all of the interventions. And I was like, no, I'm doing this natural. And how I knew to, I mean, my mother was like, she had three C-sections. Like no one around me was saying like natural birth. You know, it was just like in me that this was going to happen this way. And so all nine pounds, three ounces of this Ooh. child come out of my 19 year old body. And, um, yeah. And then I had a few days in the hospital with her and, um, and then her, her adoptive parents came to the hospital. So I had chosen her parents during the pregnancy and there was truly only one family that I would have chosen out of all of the families in like three states through this adoption agency. And um, so that's who she went home with. And it's always been an open adoption. Okay. So in the first years I had, um, you know, I had, I had letters and pictures sent to me that was part of my request. And um, then at six months of age, we started when she was six months of age, we started to see each other every six months. So we've always been a part of one another's lives. It doesn't necessarily make up for the loss, um, but psychologically and what they knew about adoption and development at that time, uh, it's really good to know where you came from. So it's in the right. best interest of the child to know all the parents. Now, unfortunately, during that time, my then partner or her her biological father, his name is Jeremy. He was um, pushed out primarily by my parents. Uh, a lot of fear was used. I began to believe that he was very bad and very manipulative. And I mean, we were immature because we were kids, but um, he wasn't a bad person. And so that actually left quite a mark on him. And now, let me do, like, my daughter's about to turn 20. So this was a long time ago. There's been a lot of process and a lot of life lived and a lot of healing. Um, but now Jeremy and I are some of the best friends, but he has still never met his daughter. Oh, no. Um, I know, because, you know, she just grew up without knowing him. And she has a very um, deep security system around her and a lot of adults that care. And so... Um, she just hasn't, hasn't been like ready for that yet. And that's, that's okay. Um, and he gets that too, but yeah, he and I have come back around and, um, yeah, very ongoing journey, obviously as life is, but one of the things too, Megan, and just stop me anytime if I'm going on too much, but, um, isn't that funny how, like if I'm a woman tell, telling a story and I'm too much, <laughs> Don't we always do that? <laughs> yeah. So, um, you know, what that did for me, and I tell this story in my TEDx, but what that did for me was 
I began to believe like in that moment, like if you are not worthy of this like beautiful, plump, nine pound, three ounce baby girl, because you're like not educated yet, not married yet, don't have enough money yet, don't have a, you know, don't have the life you're supposed to have yet. Then um, that got ingrained within me so, so deeply that like, I'm not enough. I'm not worthy of that kind of beauty. And so it, it shifted me and I forgot who I was. Mm -hmm. Like I had known that in my adolescence. And then when I lost her as a young person, the formula before me was really about like, go make something of yourself by going to college, finding the man, getting married. You know, it's like the prescription that we're given right. as a default. Our parents pass that to us. A lot of the time, they, it may not have even worked for them, that formula, but like they're passing it on anyway. And subconsciously, I just bought into it because the grief mm-hmm. and the shame was so, so deep. And then that programming truly ran me for like over a decade. And um, I got one degree, I went back for a master's, I went back for a second master's, I had a second child, I did get married, um, but I was like running myself into the ground mm. um, to the point where I had adrenal fatigue uh, pretty bad by the time I was like 32. So, so that's my part of my story of losing my daughter. And you're welcome to ask anything about that. I, I'm an open book about anything, but... Um, I am an open book about that because we truly don't hear a lot from birth mothers. Right. Right. Or some people call it natural mothers. Um, yeah. I think your um, situation is a little unique um, compared to other adoption stories. I know because a lot of adoption stories, I know the, you know, birth mother is not in the picture. Um, actually every person I know who was adopted, they were adults when they actually started to look, you know, for their other family. Cause I feel like most children, um, want to know where they came from. Right. Especially when you become an adult and now you're like, what kind of, uh, what kind of diseases run on my family? You know, is there mental health problems? Like yeah. is how I, what I'm doing, is that coming from, you know, my biological family? What is going on here? And I yeah. feel like, and what was my story? Like, how was it conceived? What right. was I wanted? You know, my daughter, when we were 16, we were standing on a beach and um, she had started to ask about her biological father for the first time. And like, I had written these things down. I had written stories down, um, sent them in her baby book, like sent pictures. Well, that in, in a adoptive parents world, like that is not the most important thing. And so that book got lost. Like, I mean, I don't know what happened to it, but she hadn't seen it. So I was standing there on the beach with her at 16 years of age. And I'm, and she's starting to ask me about her biological father. And I realized, oh my God, she's never seen the picture. Oh my God. She's never heard the story. And I said to her, I was like, Oh my God. <laughs> I was like, keep it together, Sarah. But I said, first and foremost, you were conceived in love. Like, do you know that? And she said, I didn't know that. And I was like, oh my God. <laughs> you right. know? Like it's, it's really important to know where he came from. Yeah. For the medical reasons, for the identity reasons. 
Yeah. So around, I remember at that time that I was pregnant, open adoption, as they call it, was less than 10 years old. So this is between 20 and 30 years old, sort of in our culture, right? Um, in Western culture. Yeah. Because if you don't know where you came from, that's, that's really a recipe for a host of attachment disorders. And mm-hmm. so, um, and attachment disorders are really common in anyone that's adopted, but open adoption is going to reduce some risk of the psychological effects. Yeah. Of adoption. I didn't know any of that then, but and now you do. That's good to know. After, <laughs> well, yeah, in a career in education, I worked with a lot of adopted kids in education, um, worked in residential therapeutic programs, and saw a lot of adoption and a lot of um, adoption from other cultures and um, and the attachment issues that can really arise from that but what was interesting was like as an educator I never brought my story in I was never permitted to you know I worked in all girls boarding schools where some girls had very deep adoption issues and I was Mm -hmm. like let me do narrative therapy with them like let me help in some way and granted I was young and maybe I couldn't see my own shit But the therapists were like, no, you just keep your story under wraps. And I get that like adoption, an an adopted child in education, like doesn't necessarily need to know that I'm a birth mother because that, you know, transference could be quite real. Right. However, to me, that created um, a separation Mm -hmm. that like, I always had to keep that story separate from that space or it, it was like a part of my truth that wasn't able to come into my life, like into my mm-hmm. career. So it was a story that I, was, I would tell anyone who asked. Right. Um, and when I started blogging and things like that, I, I talked about it. Um, but I wasn't ever able to bring it into education, which I think is an indication of like how culture perpetuates us to have to look like we have a well put together life yeah you know like don't show your mess don't show your realness yeah i i see that especially on social media is some people can't handle it when you are sharing uh these intimate parts of your life um and i'm one of those people that for the longest time, just only solely put out that I had my shit together, which I did not <laughs> like just, yeah. just yeah. put that out there. Um, but over the years I have come to realize like people need to know that they're not alone. And, and yeah. that's, that's a connection with what you said is these kids that would have been helpful to them to know, Oh, she understands what I'm going through. Maybe not because she's, she has been the adopted child, but she understands on the, you know, mother end of it, like how this might be going on. Cause I can only imagine for a child who is adopted, you would, they would be thinking, was I wanted, why did my mom give me away? Was it, was it because, you know, like you said, financials, you weren't there yet. Like that was, you weren't in that space of life where you, you, um, could, or not could, but 
weren't prepared to, to be able yeah. to raise a child at that time. But for other people, it may not be the same. So the, to have these children who are just like, I don't know, I don't know why, like why I was put up okay, for adoption. Yeah. yeah. Well, and I honestly question the, the why for myself. And, um, you know, when I was pregnant and she was being placed, the adoption agent, uh, the social worker that worked with my case, she said, always have your answer to the question of why, because mm. one day she's going to ask you why. And that just stuck with me. And so when I first started to write my memoir, which is just, it's still a draft. It's not out yet. It's, um, always in the works, but I, the first title that I had for it was the evolution of why, because the why that I understood when I was 19, like you're not old enough yet. You're not rich enough yet. You're not married enough yet. That changed as I aged and what I would have told her when she was one or like what I wrote in that baby book was different than what I would have told her when she was two or four or 12 or now. And the, the real evolution of why has really shaped my life mm. because I realized like, oh my gosh, I was fed this story mm -hmm. that if I just go mm -hmm. make something of myself, I will be able to have what I want. And I will tell you that becoming a mother again drove me. It was like, what do I have to do in order to be good enough to be a mother again? And um, made big decisions out of that mindset that like, well, am I there yet? Am I not there yet? Mm -hmm. it, was, it was all about getting to the place where I was like good enough and ready. Um, and when I got pregnant with my son, I had been with his father since my daughter's birth. Like it was a very, it was um, an old friend, not mm -hmm. my daughter's father because he had been pushed out. But then I was with another friend and um, we had been together for like 10 years by, this, by the time my son was born. And um, it wasn't the perfect time. But that's what I had finally realized was like, you're never going to have your shit together. <laughs> like perfectly, you know, it's never going to look like that bill of goods that you were sold and you have to start seeing yourself as good enough. Um, and so, yeah, with my son, I was, I was still in this hyper um, mood about being an amazing mother and like having it all together. I mean, that child had like ever, he had an organic baby mattress and only wooden <laughs> organic baby toys. And I wouldn't let him near plastic. And I made all of his baby food from scratch and I put supplements in it and I breastfed forever. And that was fucking hard to do because like my boobs it didn't want to do it, you know? Yep. And I was just like, I will do everything because like here's my chance um and it, it looks like super woman I, I shit you not but like it led to adrenal crashing because mm -hmm. not only was I like doing all that but I was going to school at night for a second master's degree and I was running schools and I was like 
in every area of my life, I was striving, um, which is not sustainable. It's Mm -hmm. not sustainable. (laughs) No, which many, many women are finding right now, like with the coronavirus. And yeah, (laughs) I've been writing about how this is like a forced pause, but it's really revealing to us what was not working anyway. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, life was silly to expect us to to continue those superhuman feats of strength. Maybe that's not actually what we're supposed to do here. I feel like society puts so much pressure, especially on women, you know, that we need to show up a certain way and we need to do certain things. Like for me growing up, it wasn't about the fact that I wanted to be a mom. It was the fact that I was expected to be a mom. And when I was pregnant with my daughter, my mother was very like, make your own decisions, blah, 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 blah. And I, like you, was like, abortion isn't really a thing for me, especially after the doctor showed me the wiggling peanut on the screen. I was like, I can't get rid of the peanut. Um, But uh, basically, if I had put her up for adoption, my mom let me know she was going to adopt her. So there wasn't really a choice Mm -hmm. about like, baby can leave like the yeah she would always be around so I I not I had a choice but didn't have a choice so I was just like you know I'm going to raise this kid and and do it all on my own Mm -hmm. and and stuff and I I had support from my mom but um for me the the whole point in that is I never felt like there was a choice not to be a mom because it was always expected Mm -hmm. of me and I, I post quite often. I'm pretty sure I was not built to be a mom. <laughs> like, mm, you have four. I, yeah, <laughs> I have four and I'm pretty sure, uh, I just feel like it wasn't, um, that's not in my nature to be like this mm. very like supportive, nurturing person. And I feel like there's so many, there's so many standards and expectations society puts on moms. Like I have a really close friend of mine who's been on the podcast and I'll link her her um, episode up in the show notes, she talked about this. She doesn't want to have children and mm-hmm. she's consistently being judged by society because that's the expectation that you're going to have children um, mm-hmm. and that you should want to have children. And she's like, I don't, mm-hmm. I don't want to have children. And I feel yeah. like no matter what you do, like you said, you strive so hard to be like the perfect mom and super mom and have the organic this and, or, you know, all these things. And, I feel like as, as women and as moms, we can't ever do it right. Right. If you cough, if you cough diaper and breastfeed your child, you're doing it wrong. Like you're, you're, you should be doing something different or you should be doing something more. Right. Which comes from our own insecurities. Like one woman thinking is the way I'm doing it good enough. And, and so if I need to defend that my way is good enough, then I'm going to judge another woman. So Mm -hmm. fuck that. Like we don't need to do that anymore. Um, and I will definitely say that I am not the perfect mom. Like I can't even, (laughs) I let that go a long time ago. And, um, you know, one of my healers and mentors said to me, Sarah, you can kill yourself trying to ensure that this boy's life is completely perfect And like, that's just going to damage him. So stop doing that and let him learn the lessons that he came to this earth to learn and evolve as a human. And so, um, and it's really funny because like I became a mindfulness teacher and, you know, like have these different practices for mindfulness. And I, I, 
taught his kindergarten class, like his kindergarten, <laughs> first and second grade class, because I worked at the school that he went to. And you know that if I teach it, the child is going to become a tween who's like, forget that mom. I don't want to do what you know, you know, what you think is right to do. And so at this point, he's like rejecting healthy food, rejecting mindfulness, <laughs> rejecting like deep breathing before sleep, you know, the, just the basics. And so I can't push it. You know, he's, he's going to do his thing. I mean, I was clearly a rebellious teenager. And so I, I birthed a human that is um, very similar to yeah. me. <laughs> so getting a taste of my own medicine there. Um, but, you know, I had what I now know was like a spiritual awakening when he was three. And on the beginning of my podcast, if you listen to it, I say like, do you, have you had that moment where you thought, wait, I left something of myself back there. Um, and, and then like, I'm going to either choose to go after it or to not go after it. And that moment for me, he was somewhere around like two and a half or three years old. And I remembered how free I had felt with my daughter's father um, in those like late teen years. And I was like, I was a old soul all along. And so yeah. at 18, I was mature. Um, but I remembered something, this, this like spark of self that I had turned off when my daughter was born um, because of those societal messages. And I woke up to the fact that the messaging was not going to lead me back there. The messaging of like, go make something of yourself because there I was and I was married and I had the toddler and I had the job and I loved my son and that was really blissful. Like he's kind of a category of his own, but my marriage wasn't good. And my career didn't feel authentic to myself and my soul. Mm -hmm. And so there was this remembering like, oh shit, I left something of myself back there and I'm going to walk back to it. And that was eight or nine years ago. And I'm still walking back, but it's such an amazing journey that I'll say like, I got back to that place of remembering and then I, and then I kept going. Um, and that is truly what life is about. It's, it's amazing. That's the path that I call sacred remembering is remembering and then choosing to go after it. Um, and I think that that's happening for modern women so much more than ever because we were fed um, this like, bill of goods in a patriarchal system in a male dominated system that like isn't actually good for us mm -hmm. it's not actually fulfilling but we do it because that's like the recipe right no i completely understand <laughs> i i'm right there with you and i'm like I, i'm married and i love my husband and he's an amazing human being and i'm so fortunate to have him in my life because i feel like I would have never started to find myself again had I not met him. And not that he was the one that I shouldn't put that. I shouldn't put it that way because I don't want people to think like he was the reason I found myself, but he gave me, he gave me space. Um, I love that. And, and that's one of the things is he, he gave me space to try to, you know, find myself and supported me when I was, you know, having a complete 
rock bottom moment. And, you know, I'm very thankful to have that support so that, you know, he encouraged me to do things. And I would say, I mean, I'm still well on my journey. I still have a long way to go to, to, to feel like I'm even myself again. But, um, Mm -hmm. you know, it started with my, when my, I think what we were married three years and I, hit a rock bottom moment, tried to commit suicide. And he was just like, Mm -hmm. you need to get help. And that, Mm -hmm. that was the catalyst for me, you know, discovering like, who, who am I? I don't know. I mean, I had been lost for so long. I, I, I would say when I was 13, so I'm 33, I'm going to be 34 this year. When I was 13 and my parents divorced, my world shattered into like a million Mm -hmm. pieces And it just kept shattering along the Mm. way for like ever. Mm. And, um, you know, then I had my daughter. I was also a teen mom. I had her at 16. I turned 17 right after she was born. And um, it just kept going. Like I kept losing myself, like from the time my parents divorced to having my daughter to like being in a really bad, uh, like relation, toxic relationship to meeting my husband and and he met this person who like, I don't, he saw something that I didn't see. Like I didn't know existed inside myself. Um, and he, like I said, he held that space and supported me. And he said, you know, you Mm. need to, you need to get help. And I, that is the day where things started to pivot. And I was just Mm. like, who am I? I'm, what am I, what do I like who deep down inside do I feel like, and you know, that was 2013. So we're only like seven years into this, like you said, journey of like, who, mm-hmm. who am I? And I still feel quite lost most of the time, yeah. <laughs> but I'm working on it. I love that you own the rock bottom outright as do I, like it's all over my podcast, like 2019 fucking sucked for me because <laughs> honestly, I, I did have a rock bottom, but it was like, I had to go back and heal everything that I hadn't healed when my daughter, when I lost my daughter, like there were aspects of that striving that I was still perpetuating, even as a knowing woman. And I had to go back into that. So anyway, thank you for just owning the glorious mess that is the rock bottom that propels us into that choice point where we're like, again, we can walk toward ourself or we can continue to deny it. And that choice to walk toward yourself and to own the whole of it, like, oh my God, there are so many things I don't have under control and I don't know what I'm doing. And, um, oh my God, these creations might fail because maybe I was like creating them from the wrong place. I mean, oh my God, I need, I might need to walk away from my marriage and that's fucking scary. Like, all of those things um, open up from that place, but it's only truly when we go into that place that we're going to find ourselves. And that's, I would really encourage all women to really realize that, that we have to traverse the hard stuff. Mm-hmm. We truly have to traverse the hard stuff in order to, um, what I say, gain our soul. When you were talking about like fragmenting or shattering at that point, Um, So along the way, I was a school principal and creator and I started to take like Reiki classes and like esoteric teachings because something was calling me and I was like, 
I don't know what this is. I'm just going to go study energy medicine. And like, I wasn't telling anyone that I was doing this. So I started, I was like wearing crystals under my principal gear. And (laughs) I was a pretty hip principal. I live in a progressive town, but still it was like, like I started to get more tattoos. Like I have tattoos up and down my arms and like they were starting to come out of the principal gear, you know? So in the, in the shattering aspect, what I learned in these like shamanic teachings and esoteric teachings is that the soul actually does fragment. Mm. The soul that we come in with, that we, I believe we're like on a mission to embody. Right. Our, our soul fragments when we have these traumas. Mm. And so we do actually lose pieces of ourselves and we can actually call them back. And so part of what I do with women right now, like I have all the science. I'm like, you want to do mindfulness? You want to do brain stuff? You want to like bring in your future self? Great. We could do meditation or we could actually do the energy medicine and like call your soul back. You know, it's like, that's part of my path of safeguard remembering is that I have to claim all all parts of myself. Mm -hmm. Like that's part of my job on this planet. Um, And so, yeah, but my path, like that education path and then the esoteric path, now it's bridged in this thing called embodied breath that I swear, like, I didn't think of. It started to come to me as an educator. It was like, okay, you're going to start your own business. You're going to be coaching women. Okay. It's going to be called this. And I was just like getting these messages and I was making the decisions based on the messages, but I was still at a point where I was like, I'm not going to tell anybody that I'm hearing these things. (laughs) That'd be weird. But yeah, what a path, what a path. Well, one of the, um, one of the psychic mediums I used to follow, she said that it's like breadcrumbs. You have to follow the breadcrumbs. You're not going to have like everything all at once. It's like, if you follow this and it leads to that and it leads to this other thing, um, if we overthink it, we will stop following the breadcrumbs. So for me, people have heard this on the podcast before. I was a fitness coach. And then why I was fitness coaching, I realized a lot of my clients, the problem wasn't that they lacked, you know, the motivation or the tools or whatever. Their lives were a hot mess. Aren't, aren't all of our lives a hot mess, but like her, their lives were a hot mess, which was preventing them from really working on themselves. And so then I was like, oh, I want to become a life coach. And so while I was Mm -hmm. life coaching, I kept drawing in all these clients who had psychological things that were going Mm -hmm. on. And I was not qualified to muck around in that. Mm -hmm. I am well Mm -hmm. aware. I've seen way too many coaches um, mucking around in the psychological without the proper training and really messing people up. And so I decided I want to go to school for psychology. So that's what I'm doing now. And it's been this. But that's your breadcrumb. Like there was a breadcrumb that you follow. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So it's this following the breadcrumbs. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. And I want to really make clear. I mean, after a career in education and like two higher ed degrees, I'm not anti-education. Right. You know, because I think for a while I kind of like swung the pendulum in the other direction. And I was like, I'm not doing that anymore. Like, but, but it really was on my path 
because I had found my worth. Like I was like, I need to go get another training. I need to go get another degree, another certificate. Um, and it wasn't necessarily authentic to my soul's path. I mean, mm-hmm. I, it all has served me. Like everything I learned in educational leadership and mindfulness and trauma, like I do use that in my practice. Right. Um, but when I left education and the last school that I helped to start, my coworkers who I had known from previous jobs for, for a while, we all started a school together. They would joke and they were like, Sarah, you're going to go back for a PhD in <laughs> psychology or like something like that. And I was like, at that point, you know, three years ago, I needed to claim that no, I do not need another certification or piece of paper saying that I am qualified to do these things. And so um, that was an interesting move sort of as a coach because I did not go and like get a piece of paper saying I was a coach. Mm -hmm. There was not one coaching certification that I've looked into and I have looked into them. Me too. That, that I want to pursue. Mm -hmm. I'm like, I know this, I know all this and I lived it and I taught it to kids and I mentored adults and like, I don't need to do it, but I am so drawn to depth psychology and you know, like I, I am curious if my breadcrumbs are going to lead me back to a PhD in like depth psychology or I don't know. I love Jung and the analysis of the psyche. I love it, but I don't even necessarily want to do that for a living. Right. You know, like I want to do this medley, this like, what's going on for you right now? Let's meet you exactly where you are and like bring all of the tools from, from the toolkit. And, um, and have conversations like this and conversations like my podcast. I mean, I think that this is how we seed a new world and a new reality for women yeah. and men and all humans. So I agree. I, I'm uh, glad you said you've looked into all this, the coaching certifications. Cause I did too. And I took, it took another coach saying to me, like your life experience And the things that you have learned along the way, those are the things that made me a good coach and how I was able to relate to people is because I had learned those things and uh, experience, I think speaks volumes, Mm -hmm. um, compared to a piece of paper, Um, not to bash on anybody who did go and get a coaching certificate. It is very important that people, if they're going to work with the coach really, um, look into their background and look into what they're doing. Um, but just be aware, just because somebody has a piece of paper does not mean they know what they're doing. Uh, (laughs) well, and there are a lot of therapists who have not done their soul work. There are Mm -hmm. a lot of therapists who themselves have not lived a life to the depth that is required. I love my therapist. I recently looked into like a different style therapist for myself. And I was Mm -hmm. like, these people are not my teachers. No one I found, and I live in a very progressive place, like no one that I found did I feel called to as a teacher. Mm -hmm. So I really encourage women to like, yes, follow your own path of your own development and question if you are looking for that next certification, are you doing it because that is your breadcrumb, like the thing that you are really passionate about going after 
and you know, your soul is like this right here, you spring at you and it's like an excitement or are you saying yes to it because it feels like you should. Mm -hmm. And then that's a no, that's actually a no. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. And, and likewise, like, how do you say yes to your teachers? You know, your coaches, your mentors, your spiritual teachers, your, your therapists, like anybody, how do you say yes to them? And, um, it's funny now a few years into my practice, like a woman will be kind of orbiting for a while and then she'll just like pop in and she'll say, I don't know exactly why I'm here. And I'm like, because you're following your breadcrumbs, right? (laughs) you know, like, because you just feel something. Um, and I love being with women as they give themselves that permission to follow their breadcrumbs. Yes. Yes. So as we wrap up this podcast today, what is something or a collection of things that you would like to leave the inspired women audience with? Mm, The inspired women. I just follow, follow your breadcrumbs, you know, like that path of sacred remembering. I want to say you are not wrong when you feel the spark of remembrance inside of you that says this way, or this is your truth, or, you know, you're going to have to do this brave thing. Like whatever that little voice is telling you, you are not wrong. I think I also want to say, do not put yourself off, you know, like that next breadcrumb, it might feel like there is no reason to follow it. And there is every reason to follow it. And I think the longer you put off following it um, or the next breadcrumb or the next breadcrumb, the, the more you put off yourself, the more you put off the life that you truly could be living. Um, and again, it's not going to be all roses. It's not going to be easy. You have to go through whatever comes up. Uh, whatever arises is like what you go through because that is your evolution. That is like you gaining that next fragment back. That's what I got. I love that (laughs) because I feel like sometimes we are so hard on ourselves about like, I don't know why I'm doing this. I don't know why I'm going through this. And I'm like, because you were meant to go through this to learn something. And it's, uh, I mean, to bring it back to the current day, we are all going through this pandemic together, but we're all going to learn and come out of this differently. It's opportunity. It's really opportunity. If we can look at anything that's happening and say, what is this here to teach me? Not what is this doing to me? Not like, not anything else. What is this here to teach me? What is my opportunity here? That's the only thing we got. Like we are, we are evolving (laughs) beings like right here in these human bodies. And so um, in my experience, if we want that experience of our authentic self, then we must go through exactly what's arising. So if it's an emotion, if it's a big choice point, gotta go through it. And the, the tools and resources are out there, they're available. And they will always be presented. Like the next thing you need on your path will come to you. That's the other thing is like, trust the breadcrumbs. Well, Sarah, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. Thank you so much for having me. 
Thank you for being a part of the Inspired Women audience. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a rating review. And don't forget to share this out with somebody who could use some inspiration today. Tag us at Inspired Women Podcast, both on Facebook and Instagram. Have a great day.